It's, it, it's our wrap-up week, wrap-up our series that we've been doing. So over the last couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about building a life of community. And we started off talking about finding your way home, which some of you will remember. And then last week we talked about preparing a table. And it's been interesting because during that time, Chris and I have had a number of people come to us talking about various things that have been talked about in the series and asking questions or uh, just bemoaning various things. It's it's funny, people ask for a friend a lot of the time. Yes, somebody I was talking to wanted to know. (laughs) So it's uh, But also there's been a number of questions that have been raised and just what did you mean by that or is, is that like this? And so what we thought we would do this morning is uh, discuss some of those things that have been brought to us and maybe they're things you've thought about too and just expand on them a little bit so that we have a little bit more And a couple of things that we overheard other people talking about that they didn't talk to us, so... It was a bit of everything, so there you go. Mm. I wasn't going to say that. Sorry. Another inappropriate moment. I apologise. So let's start with um, finding your way home. And one of the things that was, that was brought to light as in conversation with people was, is community as important in the New Testament church as it is in the Old Testament? Because it appears to be more focused on the individual. Which is actually, I think, a really good question. Because I think, you know, the, the New Testament after the life of Jesus, focuses very much on the fact that every single believer, after the day of Pentecost, has access to God through the Holy Spirit. And therefore, I think what we have as as a more modern society, and I think this is something which has changed over the 2,000-odd years uh, since it happened, uh, that the importance of the individual has been emphasised Whereas I don't think, well, in fact, I'm quite sure that the the releasing of the Holy Spirit, in so that everybody has the ability to connect with God, is not so much about the importance of the individual. It's actually about the importance of the influence of the individual in the community. Because if you think about it, when uh, you, when you say community, are you talking about community in church or community? The wider community. Well, initially, it means it within the church community because uh, if you think about it, a lot of the New Testament, uh, at least in the beginning of the book of Acts, talks actually about the structure and how the, the structure is formed of the church community. And in fact, you know, the, the, a lot of the things that is talk, are talked about in terms of the decisions the disciples make are all decisions about how this is going to impact the church community. And the, the interesting thing is, I think that if we compare, for instance, the Old Testament community versus the New Testament one, in the Old Testament, there was a, a, a tribe of priests who became the representatives of the whole community to God. And those priests received the offerings from the people and then interceded on their behalf to God. But they could only do that at certain times of the year. Uh, in fact, they could only the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies to meet with God uh, once a year. And so it was 
It was very hierarchical and very restrictive. And the community had to actually be very strong because they, they relied on this, this tribe of priests. And so there was a lot of community activity because the only reason, the way that the community got the word of God was to come together and hear it read by the priests. They could discuss it together. And what happens, I think, in, in the New Testament church is that God releases the Holy Spirit so that every believer can have that connection with God. I believe so that we could all be empowered to do exactly what they were trying to do in the Old Testament, come together, have discussions about the Word of God, to actually use that connection that we have with God. Because, you know, the Holy Spirit came in power. And I think what we've done is we've elevate, elevated the power of the individual. And we get a, a lot of people in Christendom and in the whole church who, because they've developed what they believe is a strong connection with God, they've gone out and told people what they should do because, you know, I'm, I'm anointed by God to tell you this. Whereas I think while, while that is a valid uh, expression of the Holy Spirit, I think the far more powerful one is when we come together uh, as um, bearers of God's image and of God's Holy Spirit and actually just communicate with each other in, um, in, a, in a communal atmosphere that we bring the power that God puts in us, I believe, is mainly for other people. You know, we can take hold of the healing power of God, not so much to heal ourselves, but to heal others. We can take that encouraging power of God, not just to encourage ourselves, but to encourage others. And so I think, you know, as, as a pastor, I think one of the, the things that I find sort of frustrating to a degree is that People think that my prayers are more powerful than theirs. Just because I'm anointed as a shepherd to lead the church. Somehow God has said, well, when you pray for people, it has ten times more value than when somebody else just in the congregation prays for people. Um, but that, that's not actually true. Um, the Holy Spirit gifts certain people not for their benefit, but the benefit of others. And I think you know, as a community, we, we, need to, we need to be very careful of saying to other people, God told me. I think it's fair enough to say I have a feeling that God is, is saying this or, or I, I, it is on my heart to tell you this or whatever. But you know, I, I think we've got to be very careful about keeping doors open um, because, uh, and we get it as pastors a lot, if somebody from the congregation wants to tell us something they don't want us to argue about, they will say, God told us because where's the comeback? It's either then, oh, God told us something different uh, and it's then he said, she said, um, or you know, it's it becomes a very difficult situation. So I think the the Holy Spirit in every individual is actually a huge responsibility for us to carry, not so much in terms of the power it gives us, but the responsibility that we need to take with that. Um, and so I think you know, it's it's not about the power of the individual; it's about the importance that. Every individual can have an impact in the community. Yeah, yeah that, so. that's, that's very good. Because we've had a few discussions about that, haven't we? And, and with various people and just clearing up that, that yeah. sense of we are individual and we do here individually, but we come together collectively yeah. and, and there's even more power yeah. in that. Because it actually can be very dangerous, I think. Because especially for Vicky and I, 
people see us as having a position of power and we, I think it's very easy for us to abuse that because we can say to people, God has told us that this is what we should be doing and people will listen because there's this natural assumption that God, that God has actually done something special because we're pastors and, you sh- uh, and people should listen. Um, now, that act- should actually be true without us saying God has told us. <laughs> um, but I think we've got to be very careful not to abuse um, the, the connection that we have with God to actually control people. It's, it actually should be a community consultation. I, I'm feeling this because I, I've been praying about this. What's God saying to you? Yeah. And, and how, how? And yeah, we think it's like this, but perhaps we should talk to uh, Richard about this, or, or or Jess, or Elise, bring, bring her because they have perhaps have expertise, and perhaps say, well, perhaps can you go and pray about it and come back to us, and we can have a discussion. Mm. So there's more of a a collective, God. yeah. Mm. But. It, each of us have a connection with God that we're using to build other people in our community. Mm, that's um, very good, very good. Um, how do we find time to be part of a vibrant, powerful community when there's so much demand on our time? Oh, amen, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we live in such a busy world and I think this is, this is our problem. We live in the world. Yeah. And I, we, we, we regard church as part of the world. And, I, and this, is, this is where our, I think our problems lie, in that we view our church community as, as another task, another job, another goal to achieve during the week. You know, we've been to work. Saturday, we've been shopping, uh, or to the caravan and camping show. Sunday... <laughs> If we're not too busy or we're not too tired, we can make it to church. And if we're lucky, the singing will be good and the preaching might tell us something and we get a good coffee and we can go home and tick another box. And I, and I think that's... And if we view it that way, and hopefully we don't, but if we do view it that way, it becomes... Church becomes a task. It becomes a job. It becomes, you know, almost like a, a, something we can tick off to God and say, See, I went to church... Didn't get anything out of it, but I've done what you asked me to, all right? But I'm pretty sure that that's not how... What God has provided us with a church community. He's provided us with a place to worship and to hear his word so that everything else in our life springs from that. Yeah. It should actually be a centre point. Um, instead of going to work and then going to church and that makes us good... I think because we go to church, we should be better at our jobs. We should be better at school. We should be better in the playground. We should be better on the sports field. We should be better at the Hutt Street Centre. Um, we should be better at what we do because the church is the source of life for us instead of just another job. And I think that's, that's the challenge of the modern-day church is to become that source and not just another, um, another time-consuming act that we do during the week. And uh, and I think you know that's where that's why the church community is important because we need to be a group of people who have and it's it's not easy we have to train ourselves to think that way because if we look at it realistically it's another couple of hours in the week that we're spending time with other people that we that we could be doing something that it's more leisurely if you like 
But if we, but if we have that attitude that you know, out of our community and and our church interaction comes the life of the rest of our week, then I think yeah. we see life completely differently. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really that's powerful, isn't it? Um, I don't think we've all got it there yet, but this I mean this is something. Yeah, because you know, it's not about getting it right all the time. It's actually moving towards mm. getting. But it's it really right. good to talk about these things and yeah. remind ourselves about what it is that we're trying to achieve and why. Um, when, when we had the title, um, Finding Our Way Home, it's interesting because we have a bit of a, a motto, if you like, in this place where we say, welcome home. Like, this is, this is, this is home, welcome home. Um, so why do we still need to find our way home? Uh. If this is home. Wish you hadn't asked me that question. Um, I think it's it's to do with our view of home. Uh, And again, I'm not blaming modern society, but um, I am. Uh, Our our, our vision of home, our our understanding of home has changed. Uh, I think for, for most of us now, we would regard our home as a place of security and of rest and of safety. Well, security, safety, same sort of thing. Um, But it's a haven, if you like, from the world. Uh, Whereas I think especially in Jesus' time, to find a home was actually to find a purpose. Um, Because if you had a family and you had a home, you had a purpose. I mean, life in Jesus' day, was very much more about survival than life is today. I mean, you, if you were a family and you had a farm, every single member of that family had to work mm-hmm. on the farm. And the children were involved in, you know, the smaller jobs, collecting the eggs perhaps in the morning, whatever, hel- helping with some of the smaller tasks. Uh, whereas the adults had to go and they you know, had to plough the fields, plant the fields, weed the fields, harvest the fields, all of those jobs. And they had to be done at a, a regular intervals throughout seasons and all, and all the rest. Um, but as you grew up in that family, the interesting thing is you found a home. You were definitely home, but your purpose changed as you grew up. And I think that's the difference. We, the church, you know, C3 Norwood can be your home, but you're always on a journey because coming into your home, your purpose is never going to be the same for too long if we're growing uh, in our walk with Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, often as little children, you know, on a farm might be collecting eggs one day. As they grow up, they can go out with a hoe and weed the crops. As, as they get older and stronger, they can, you know, uh, ride the horses, get behind the plough. You know, all, all of these tasks are dependent upon our maturity. Um, and so I think when we come into church... We, we need to recognise that as we mature, God has different purposes for us. Now, I know that, uh, you know, for me, you know, even listening to my t- self-talk there, I'm thinking, why would I ever go to church? Because it just means more and more work. The, the, the more I get to know God, the more work he's got for me. Where's the joy in that? Um, but then I, I think you know, if we look at the farming um, aspect of it again, the, the important thing in farming is seasons. There are seasons where you don't do much. Yeah. And there are seasons where there's a lot of frenetic activity and hard work. 
And I think part of our maturity of, as Christians is not being able to take on greater burdens. After all, I think, where is it? Um, Matthew eleven twenty eight talks about the fact that God makes his yoke easy and his burden light. Yeah. And so it's not about actually maturing as a Christian and being a harder worker. It's actually getting in tune with the seasons that God puts into our lives. Because, you know, from, from the very first part of the Bible all the way through, the idea of Sabbath and rest is a recurring. God does not want us burned out people. He does not want us anxious people. He does not want us tired and dispirited people. He actually wants us to be productive because he has seasons for us in our lives. And part of our maturity is actually recognizing seasons. And so I think that's the journey. That's the finding home part. You know, it, 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 it sounds as though it contradicts the idea that when you've come, you come to church, you, you plant yourself here, you've, you've found your home. But we're always on a journey to find how we are at home in our potential, in our, in our purpose with God. And I don't think that ever ends. Otherwise, we just become smelly and stagnant. Mm. Just like Ben is apparently because he smelled better up on stage when you were representing oh. him. So. <laughs> Shower more often, Ben. That's the message. <laughs> Which near Georgia I mean, going amen in the background. Yeah, possibly. Um, talking about that leads us to last week when we were talking about preparing a table. Yes. And yes. a number of people talked to us afterwards because you were talking about the test and the tests that we face. In life, and we had a number yes. of questions around the tests. And basically, people were like, "Why all the tests, God?" Yes. So, can you just expand a little more on the tests and what that is all about? Yeah, I was actually. I had a number of people come up to me after the service and say, "Can you tell God I don't want any more tests?" <laughs> um, or, "Look, why is why is God always testing me in this?" And Things like this, and I think I, I perhaps may have given the wrong idea about these tests because um, I, I want to make it clear right now that I do not believe that God puts hardships into our life to teach us things or to toughen us up. That's that's just not how God operates. And so I, I think when we look at tests in our life, especially when they're tests of circumstance, I think we we should actually take heart and have faith to say, God is not putting that in front of me to teach me something. I'm not going through a test because God has decided I am deficient in that area and I need to learn something. This is, you know, what we might do to people. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just going to let them hang and <laughs> see if they can work their way out of this. And, you know, if they learn something from it, that's all well and good. And sometimes that's good to do for kids, <laughs> um, to let them find their own way. Um, but we don't put them in danger or hardship to do that. It's really a question of, of you know, there are boundaries there. But I think we we've, uh, uh, can misinterpret that as to think that every hardship in our life is a test from God. Yeah. Most of the hardships in our life are a test of our own stupidity. <laughs> um, we've more often than not put ourselves in that situation uh, and are going through a test because we haven't learnt something that... We should know without God having to tell us. Um, and you know, a, a common, I guess, complaint that we get is, is, about, is 
let's take finances or relationships as, as a, a, a two great examples. Um, people often come to us for advice about both of those. And it's mainly often, do you think that God wants me to do this? Um, and it's actually very difficult to advise people on that because what we see is often beyond that. That the current test you may be going through, for instance, in your finances, is not because God is testing you in your finances. It's actually because you have missed a test earlier in, in the, the whole deal about what God says about you and your finances. And this is sort, sort of general. Because if we look at Isaac uh, and the test that he went through with, uh, or Jacob and the test he went through with Isaac and having to sacrifice him, it was because he disobeyed a very specific promise that God had made to him. And so he wasn't being... Um, challenged because he wasn't living his life right or he hadn't got his act together on something. It was a specific promise. And so we need to look back at our lives and say, what does God promise about our lives that we have ignored? And, you know, when our finances, it can often come to, to generosity, to, to wisdom. To, I mean, God asks us to be a good steward with our finances, Often if we look at people's financial woes, it can be, if you drill down, it it basically comes to the fact that we are not good stewards with our money. And And if we look at what God says about stewardship and the promises of that, we're missing out on that because we haven't got that core value in our life about stewardship. The fact that we've spent money on a necklace we didn't need, it might be relevant. Um... In fact, most of the things I, I think, you know, when it comes to relationships and and money, are common sense. Um, but we know that our heart and our and our wallets get in the way. Um, and so I think when it comes to circumstantial tests, God is not the one testing us for most of that. Um, it's about what God promises as a people and as individuals that we haven't grasped. Um, that cause us to be in those situations Um, so I don't think God is actually giving us test after test we've put ourselves in situations where the promises of God aren't coming to pass because we haven't grabbed something basic um, early on in the process so we actually need to revisit deeper issues chosen to ignore it yeah we would would never do that no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't do that it's so easy so, to do, though, but you can do it so easily in just little things and not even realise that's what you're doing. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, we struggle to come to terms with it because often it involves a much deeper shift in our thinking. Um, that if we've developed habits, we're very often very unwilling to shift. Uh, and don't come and ask us for advice because we don't like making ourselves really unpopular by telling you what really needs to change. Um, <laughs> unless you pay us a lot of money. And, um, and that's not to say that we have it all No, we don't have all either. the answers, so don't, <laughs> don't, uh, don't assume that either. In fact, the, the, the interesting thing about um, the, this whole idea of, of connecting with God in that way and, and coming to him o- over this idea of, of the table, which was uh, you know, integral to the, the second week I talked, 
um, wasn't actually inspired by me at all. Uh, Vicky was reading something that she thought was particularly inspiring um, about preparing a table. And uh, she was excited to hear my message, um, but apparently not as excited as she could have been because I, I didn't actually say some of the things that she thought were really important. And so I, I, I thought it was actually... Um, and, and they were really good things, and, uh, and uh, it was just through time and all those other things. But I, I was, I was, I'd be interested, what, what actually inspired you about that? Because it was a different take on things. Um, it's, it's just this whole idea of coming to a table, and I know that that's kind of a... Um, a four-legged wobbly thing. Well, no, an actual table is, yes, but the idea of coming to the table, coming to Christ, coming before him, that he sets a table before us, is, is more of a metaphor for what's going to happen yeah. there. But, but it's interesting um, when you actually think about a table because tables have been around for a long time in history and they, they can be made of stone or, um, you know, or, or, or wood or... Things of um, stone and wood. Yeah, loads of different types of tables, but but I'm, I'm not yeah. But the table's an interesting place because the table is is a place where we come and we interact, and it kind of speaks of also what happens when we come before Christ. We have an interaction, and you know we know that when we invite people into our home. It's really important um, to to have people come and sit at the table because it's where conversation happens, and you know friends sit at our table, but we also sit at, at the table with colleagues, and we even sit sit at the table with rivals and enemies and negotiate or talk about things. So, like everybody comes it's to when the you table. Have that Taped to the bottom of the table. It oh, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, no. inappropriate. Apologies again. That's but, why I'm here. But I thought it's interesting that um, the, the value of the table kind of lies in the history of a table and what a table does because we actually make the table. I mean, we might not physically, we go and buy one, but tables are made and certainly... Certainly, um, in the early days, you would make your table out of wood and you would turn the legs and whatever, or you would make it out of stone. Uh, but coming to the table, although we make the table, the table ends up making us, is, was the thought that I had, because it shapes us and it defines us. And it ultimately ends up shaping our lives because of the interaction, because of the conversation, whether it's with a rival or an enemy or a friend or a colleague or whatever is going on at that table or you're negotiating a deal or whether you're just having a conversation with your family around dinner, stuff happens at the table. And the same thing happens in that exchange with Christ. And I think that's a really powerful vision to have and it's one of the reasons why we put so much emphasis mm. in this church on dinner parties because we're coming to the table and it's where those where community is built 
where deals are answered on the table, where things were shaped and were moulded because of the conversations and the interactions, the prayer, whatever it is that goes on at that table. So it's kind of really important. And that whole idea that um, everybody is welcome to the table of Christ, no exceptions, and the, the fact that Christ accepts people who have been to the table often. Like, mm-hmm. you can come to the table regularly and that's fantastic. But there's also that place where people can come to the table who haven't been to the table for a long time. You can come to the table and still interact with Christ. You can come to the table if you've tried to come to the table before and it hasn't worked. You can come again. You can come, even if you've failed, you can come to the table. You can come to the table if you've never been to the table before and it's your first time. Everybody's welcome. And it's the same with the, tab- the actual real tables in our lives and in our mm. homes as we do dinner party or as, as we go about our, our lives, yeah. um, having people in our, in our homes, not, I'm not talking about dinner parties now, just generally, whoever it is, there's a transaction that takes place there at that table as we do business with God because the Holy Spirit's there with us at that table and it's the opportunity to talk and to grow and to develop character, to change mindsets. Yeah. Um, it's, an, it's, it's a neutral place, if you like, but everybody can come to that place. And I, I just find that, that whole thing, it, it's, it's fascinating but powerful in itself that that whole business is done around a table and how yeah. we can, if we're aware of our, the tables in our lives and the times when we're together, what is actually happening there, um, then we have intention when we're at the table as well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the table is a great image because it, it's a divider as well. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a safety, it's like a safety barrier on the bank almost. Uh, in that it allows you to present things on it in safety. It allows you to converse without feeling confronted. Um, and there's a great thing. I think it's, it's great to think about our, our relationship with Jesus that way, especially because if, uh, if you've come to the table often, I think it's, it's one of those things where you know, it, it's like a, a family dinner. There's a, there's a comfort to it. There's a familiarity to it um, and there's a connection that happens instantly but if you're somebody who's, who's a guest or somebody who's never been there there's there's this tentativeness that you yeah. know you pull up a chair and, and you sit and you, and you talk and you not quite sure and, and what's you're not happen. quite sure yeah. and I, I think if, if we look at salvation the same way I mean Jesus offers us a seat at the table and it's it's non-confrontational it's not it's 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 What's the word? Anybody can come, so there's no qualification needed. And you can sit there at the table with Jesus and, and talk about your salvation. And it's not until you actually... The, the step we take to accept Jesus into our heart is, is very much like the idea of reaching hands across the table and taking his hand. 
and forming that connection across the table. Because that, that's, that's what we can do. It, it, the, ta- the table is only a barrier until we reach our hands across it. And I think that's what Jesus asks us to do. And it's, you know, we talk about accepting Jesus into your heart, but really it's a question of facing Jesus across the table and making that decision to take his hand in yours. And the great thing is he, he'll put his hand halfway across the table and it is totally your decision as to whether you put your hand over your half of the table to grasp his. And I think that, that, that's actually a very powerful way of looking at how we connect with Jesus. His hand is always there ready, but he will not encroach over our half of the table. That decision rests on us. And when we make a decision to accept Jesus, it's really a question of, okay, I'm making a decision to connect across the table with Almighty God. And that's, a, I mean, you, you think about it, that's a very powerful image. It's a bit like saying, okay, I'm going to stick my fingers in the socket in the wall and turn the power switch on. Because that power of God flows into you. That, that connection with God is not something to be taken lightly because it changes your life. Unlike 240 volts, it actually changes it for the better. Um, but I think if we, if we look at our connection with Jesus in that way, it's, it's, it's not just a question of accepting Jesus. It's, a, it's an agreement across the table. It's a, it, it's a negotiation from a, an unconnected person to a member of his family. And I, I think that's very important. And th- that's, that's the decision that we make when we become followers of Jesus. It's actually a personal connection that we make with him across that table of negotiation to extend our hand into his hand. And so, I mean, and I invite people here this morning, if you're online and you've, you want to sort of put your hand in the hand of Jesus, uh, then there's a, there's a button in the chat that you can press, a raise hand button, and uh, somebody uh, on our team will actually talk you through how, how to take that step and what the, what the actual uh, consequences of doing that are. And if you're here this morning and you want to take that step, um, I encourage you to just come and see me uh, up here on the altar after the service. And I'd, I'd love to show you how to accept the extended hand of Jesus as we do that. So I think, yeah, that the table is a very important and powerful analogy for our connection with each other and with Jesus.